just past 7 o'clock, and what do you know? Love Monday nights. It's time for Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo, and a massive show on tap for you tonight. Ira, I don't know how we get the best of the best guests on this show, but first up, we'll be uh, to him in just a moment. It's Fessy Sataki. Tell us a little bit about Fessy, because this guy is a, a real insider when it comes to one of the top prospects in the draft. Well, considering that for two years, nobody was recruiting Zach Wilson. Um, this was like three, four years ago, and nobody was recruiting him. Nobody knew who Zach Wilson was. He was 5'8 and, uh, in, at Utah, and Fessy Sataki was at Weber State, discovered him, and for a year talked to him, and then now... A few years later, fast forward, Fessy Sataki, who's the wide receivers coach at BYU, um, is, uh, is going to talk about uh, Zach. Zach is going to probably be the, the number two pick in the NFL draft to the New York Jets. Yeah, and um, you know he's his coach, and he, he knew him way before he was the Zach Way Wilson, before we know. anything. I mean, that, I think he should be out there. As we joke, we're going to ask him in the interview, should he be just out there trying to discover the next quarterback routes? Because <laughs> you know he sat there for a year, and, and the best offer he had was even Boise State. And then and they brought him to BYU, and he coached him for three years at, at uh, at BYU uh, and had success there. And Fessy, whose cousin, is the coach of BYU. So it's going to be great in terms of talking to get his insight because we hear about Zach Wilson. A lot of people don't stay up late to watch those BYU games, but uh, <laughs> they're going to certainly be watching a lot of Jet games when he's going to be maybe the quarterback for the next 15 years for New York Jets. <laughs> Very cool stuff. And uh, Fessy Sataki will join us in just a moment. And then a little bit later on in the show, Dan Shanka is going to join us. He's from rlads.com. And Ira, nobody does better draft coverage than we do. No, I mean, we had a great uh, guest last week uh, talking about uh, the draft. And now we have Dan Dan on from Our Lads. Our Lads is the gospel in terms of the NFL, depth charts, everything. Uh, Dan's been on every show imaginable. I've seen one constantly. Um, really good insight. We're trying. We're now only three days away from the draft. It's going to be great to have him on to get his insight. Everyone is. Everyone has an opinion about who the 49ers are going to draft, what the Falcons are going to do at number four, uh, all those points. Where's Fields going to go? Where's Lance going to go? It's going to be exciting to have someone who really has a, a feel for the, how does this every year. I use his site constantly for his depth charts because when I go to these you know I love going to these games and I want to know who the numbers are and everything and they have the best you know they don't have newspapers anymore so it's great to have <laughs> if I want to go print out and Penn State's playing Northern Illinois he'll have the whole Northern Illinois depth chart and I can look at the numbers so um, we'll get to uh, Fessy in just a minute Dan Shank a little bit later and Ira you actually got to catch your breath a little bit this week as far as sports go because uh, you didn't go crazy no no crazy this week but uh, it was still exciting I'm getting ready for the draft and and just catching a lot of NBA basketball Major League Baseball lots on TV so let's go to uh, Fessy Sataki first here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports on 95.9106.9. We're, we're honored to have Fessy Sataki, the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach for BYU. Uh, thanks a lot, Fessy, for coming on the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me. So, Fessy, you're at we Weber State. You're the offensive coordinator, yeah. and you decide to recruit Zach Wilson to come to Weber State. You're probably the only person out there uh, that's interested in Zach. And then, and then you, and then, then you switch positions to go with your cousin at BYU to become the passing game coordinator, a wide receivers coach. And as you do that, um, BYU hadn't been really recruiting uh, Zach at all. And then you sort of were the linchpin to try to bring Zach to BYU, and now the number two player, perhaps in the, the NFL draft. So, give us a little backstory about how this all happened and what what you saw in Zach that no one else at the time saw in him. Yeah, well, yeah, so I, I uh, it was his sophomore year in the summer, um, and he had just, he was at University of Utah's camp. That's where he wanted to go. That was his dream school. His dad played there, and their family's very deep-rooted at the University of Utah. So uh, being at Weber State, we went to all the other in-state football camps and tried, tried to see if we can get some recruits, and uh, I saw Zach. I was coaching the quarterbacks and running the offense, and I was looking at some quarterbacks, and uh they had a lot of high-profile guys up there. I remember, I remember that year, and Zach was easy to uh, overlook because he did not look the part yet. <laughs> he was very scrawny, just a noodle. But when he threw, there was just something there. You could see how the ball came out of his hands. And when you project his size, obviously you look at his dad, you knew he was going to get bigger, as hard as it was to see past the skin and bones. Um, you knew he was going to get bigger, but he had this ability to throw throw the ball. And I knew by the end of it, I was going to offer him. But I didn't. I didn't like to offer kids at other people's camps. Um, so I said, "Hey, I went to talk to dad. I said, hey, next week we're holding our camp um, at Weber State. Bring Zach along.' And that was easy for him to come because he didn't have any offers. And so um, he came to our camp. Uh, I knew there was an offer that was going to be there as long as he continued to do what he did. And, same. He just continued to impress us the way he threw, threw him his offer, and we were his loan offer for like a year. Um, 
And it allowed me to monopolize on that time to just develop a relationship with him. He was so good at reaching out. You know, we were kind of limited in our ability to recruit him, but he was great at staying in consistent contact. We developed a great relationship. And so by the time all these other schools were able to come on board, his, his uh, entering his senior year, and at the end of it, um, I, we had a pretty, uh, pretty deep developed relationship um, that I, I'm grateful to have. So that's kind of how I was first introduced to him. The thing I saw, like I said, mine, despite his size, the guy could just spin the ball um, naturally. So you go to BYU, and he was like, he was sort of upset. I was reading some things that he said he was upset that BYU had an offer to him, and you were probably yeah. in saying, hey, guys, this guy would recruit at Weaver State. He is the real deal. <laughs> yeah, and the nice thing is it didn't take much selling because the new offensive staff at that time, um, Aaron Roderick, obviously, who was his position coach, Aaron knew him from Utah as well um, and was able to see the same things I did. Um, I just had the luxury of offering him and developing a relationship um, through that offer. Kalani knew about him already and um, didn't have to really oversell himself because he knew we all loved him. So it was a pretty pretty smooth transition. But, yeah, I, I we knew when we got here we had three weeks to work with. This guy was going to sign mid-year. We knew he was graduating early. He was committed to Boise State. We had about two and a half to three weeks to do a full-court press and try and swing him. I think a lot of those invested relationships we had really helped out. Otherwise, you know, it obviously it probably wouldn't have happened. And so we're glad we had a built-in time, you know, before uh, he, he actually inked it down and made it official with another team. Well, they said that his whole garage is still filled of Boise State sweaters and, and shirts and T-shirts and everything. Thinking he's going to go there. Yeah. But, yep, uh, it's not visible, it's, but they're there still. So. <laughs> so, and then you did get a chance to, I mean, he talks about how his dad was his quarterback coach. His dad was the inspiration in terms of him, you know, practicing and training and everything. And, and in his background, he was more of a basketball player. He would play basketball morning, noon, and night, which is great in terms of having such diverse skills. But the point is, uh, you mentioned in a tweet, I'm only bringing this up because someone tweeted out that, oh, he's more of an entitled kid and, and some, some attitude issues. But for someone like you who's experienced everything, even recruiting him, what did you see when you, I saw you tweeted back? You're like, no, he's the greatest kid in the world. But what did you, what your ex- experiences with him were like? Yeah, Zach's one of those kids that works so hard for everything that he built up this innate confidence. And that confidence, when it's perceived by people who don't really know him, I just think naturally, especially in the sports world, when we have a guy that's sitting on the fence on how we perceive him, we're going to lean towards the controversial side. We're going to lean towards cocky, entitlement. We're gonna, just because that's just, just the way it is, especially with sports, right? right. And so we, we were able to, you know, I'm going to speak as a staff and obviously myself personally, like see the side that just this guy loves, loves football and is so passionate about it and works as hard as anyone I've ever seen so he carries himself with a confidence about, you know, and so when you look at him just through the football lens, that's kind of that's kind of easy to see. Well, forget all the football stuff. We're, we see the type of human being he is, the way he interacts with his teammates, the way he blesses other people's lives, families who are struggling, um, you know, who are losing members, it, just the way he inserts himself in, into other families and uh, individuals' lives and, and, blesses them and brings them happiness like that to me is really what even offsets everything else and just makes all those outlandish statements just just seem that uh, you know just 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 out there so so that's why you know I, I came to his defense so did other coaches and players you know normally I'm sensitive about what I put out but that's that was just I think a mockery of his character and so it was a great opportunity for all of us to just speak to the person he really is. Yeah, I mean, even Trevor Lawrence got criticized for that when he says that I'm not defined by football. People are like, oh, he doesn't care about football. And I'm like, well, it's more from a <laughs> religious connotation. And he's like saying what, you yeah. know, so for say something like that, again, I thought that was just because someone makes a comment. Yes, we're, you know, because they, they believe in God and have faith and those things. It's not a criticism yeah. how hard they're going to study to be a football player. Right, exactly. And I'm glad you used that example. It's just that's one of what comes along with sports and high profile players. You know, people are looking for opportunities to keep these guys in a football box. So I actually think it's refreshing to see that controversy because it brings people's character to light and it allows us to speak to the human being as opposed to the football player. Yeah, and then he comes in to, in 2018, 
He doesn't start uh, the, the year that you have a quarterback. I think it was like a three-year starter in Tanner Mangum, yeah. who was the starter. Yeah. And they were three and three. And then you then you decide to make a quarterback change. Was it one of those things where you, you were just you thought that was he just impressing you in practice? What was the reason to make that change in that freshman year to say, okay, now we're gonna this is gonna be Zach's time to, to shine? Yeah, just from my vantage point, and uh, you know, you could tell every week this guy was just getting better and better. We knew as a freshman that he was going to be the face of BYU. It's just going to be a matter of time and just how things shook out. And so at that point in the season, he obviously was just getting better, and we just felt we hit a, were hitting a little bit of a stalemate as an overall offense. And it wasn't just on the quarterback. It was just everything, how we were operating. That includes us as coaches. And we just needed a, um, some new blood, you know, a, a fresh scene. And so that's why we threw that out there and thought we'd give it a shot and and obviously, we it was the, we thought it was the right move, and it worked out well for us. But yeah, it was just we just felt it was a good timing for that. And he beat Hawaii, and then then they lost to Illinois. And then he had that game against Brett Rippey and against Boise State. I watch a lot of BYU games because I'm a, a college ball junkie. And if I'm at like a Penn State game or any games I go to, you guys are on like at eleven o'clock or one in the morning. I'm still I want the whole day to end to watch this much. So I probably see much more BYU than almost anyone out here in West Palm Beach. But then at the end of the year, you were beating number seventeen Utah twenty seven to. 14. Utah came back with 21 in the fourth, but Zach had a, another great game, uh, 204 yards, two touchdowns. So, and ending the year, for the year, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions, and they ended up going to the Potato Bowl and beating Western Michigan. So it was sort of like this progression during the year where it just kept, seemed to be getting better. Yeah, it was. It was really cool to just to see his progression. There was a lot of ups and downs, and, and there were a lot of things that factored into that, but it was just, yeah, you look at that game, game six as a freshman, um, before headed into this mo- this past season, the growth involved there, even though people are very quick to, to point out little things and inconsistencies and ups and downs, like there was growth amongst all of that. And then obviously for him to cap off his career here at BYU the way he did with this past season was um, it was not a shocker. It was just it was just a matter of time, and I'm, you know I'm glad we were all able to see it up close and in person. And then a lo- some comments people say is, well, we didn't play in a Power 5 conference and those things. I look at your schedule in 2019. This is the sophomore year. You, you lost to Utah 30-12 to against Tyler Huntley. Who, Utah, that was a great t- Utah team. Then you have to beat Tennessee in Tennessee in two overtimes. And then you beat USC at home against Keaton Slovis, who people think is going to be the first player taken next year in overtime. And then you played another, another ranked team in Washington. So it was like you had four ranked teams all week, week after week that year. Yeah, that's the exact thing I'm talking about, and I'm glad you know I'm glad you're bringing that to light. It's the the same comparison I talk about when you're speaking to an individual's character like Zach, and there's there's a fence to sit on. Everyone's going to lean towards the the negative, you know, the ego, the entitlement. Well, when you speak about a season like you're saying, people forget that. People forget those games that he really stepped up, made huge plays, and brought us big victories. But it's still a fence because the season was a fence, right? We were seven and six and had a lot of close ones. Well, everyone's quick to point out some of those losses, and it's easy to pin that on Zach when a lot of those things weren't. It was just our team figuring out our identity. There's so many factors that went into some of those losses that shouldn't have been, you know, quote-unquote losses, but it's the sports world, and people like to lean towards that. So I'm glad you bring those games up. It's another example of just, Stuff that really is there when you when you look at it at face value. Well, he also hurt himself during the year his hand, and then he came back. He missed four games, but then that had that good strong you know strong ending to the season. So some of those losses he didn't even he didn't play in those games. Exactly, broken hand, shoulder surgery. Um, you know, didn't have a ton of off season time to develop. Definitely one of those factors as well. So, and we also want to give you a lot of credit when you went came to BYU in 2017. The offense was ranked 118th in the country, and last year it was ranked anywhere from like six to third in the country. So you certainly a huge improvement from 118 to three. And then coming into two, uh, to 2020, I saw on your Twitter page, you listed, they were listed the top like 118 quarterbacks in the country. And, and he was ranked 50th coming into the year and on Athlon or whatever. And then suddenly, you know, he had this great year, but you had lost three senior starters at wide receiver. They have COVID to deal with. You had a schedule that was set up and that nobody can seem to, you know, every game was being canceled. And to, to have the year that he had, uh, just a amazing number three scoring offense in the country number eight passing offense number one in yards per play uh just tremendous yeah just a, it's it's so awesome thinking about that and it's just a credit to these players man they, they they're so awesome and players are what win games sometimes as coaches you know we we get 
too much credit, um, but also sometimes we, we take the fall on things. But that is just a great, great um, learning experience for all of us to see when players buy into things and have the skills that, that our guys had. I think that's the product of what you see. So it, it's, it's just awesome to see all these guys, their hard work pay off. And they said that, like, in 2019, oh, he throws interceptions. He had nine interceptions. And then he must have done so. You must have worked with him well because he went from 33 touchdowns uh, to, to with only three interceptions the whole year. So that was really just an improvement to go from uh, to go th- to have a, a you know 33 to three uh, ratio. So what did he do to improve to get rid of to sort of get rid of the interceptions? Well, in terms of improvement, was just like him the things he could control. It's just getting healthy. It was time. It was experience. It was improving his own craft, but. One of the other factors, aside from his injury and just you know developing and getting healthier, is that that second year of the nine interceptions was our um, the volatility on offense. We had a ton of uh, you know uh, guys moving positions, and there was no straight five old linemen all season. The receivers, I was rotating. There were some injuries here and there. There just wasn't a lot of consistency to develop the chemistry you want on an offense. And, and Zach takes the hit of that more than anyone. You know, there's a level of comfort that you can bring when you have the same receiving core and the same old line. That's what we had this past season. I thought that was also one of the big factors of why we were so successful, um, despite everyone pinning it on a whatever a lighter schedule is. We didn't, I had the same three receivers all year, right, for the most part. We had the same backfield. We had the same old line. And obviously the quarterback who was healthy. So, so I think that's that's a, a huge part of the change, um, you know, in, in the seasons is, is is all those factors is that team chemistry. And then the game that I is just remi- remembered is the uh, Coastal Carolina game, the one, the green field or, or whatever color that field was, uh, the crazy field where you decide at the last minute, I think like on Tuesday or Wednesday, you decide to play in that game. And it was the most exciting game I saw all year, losing 22 to 17. You had uh, uh, Zach led the team down to the, on the final drive, got down to the one yard line and then t- and the clock ran out. But what a, what a tremendous game. Uh, it just, it just in terms of it was on just the, for the image in terms of BYU. Yeah, it was. Even though we obviously we were on the short end, we stick with that and in, in, in the results. There were a lot of things we could we we took from that game. It was a great learning experience and one we don't regret. We would take that game over a million times. But I think when you look past the loss, the emotions, the frustrations because of what was at stake, there were there were still some things that were valuable less life lessons for all of us as players and coaches that we were able to get out of that game. Well, I got to give you credit as someone who watched that game. There was a lot of late Coastal Carolina, I thought, got away with a lot of late hits. There was a lot of questionable calls. And you did see BYU complaining. I'm like, even after the game, I'm like waiting for BYU to say, wait a second. I mean, there was some blatant late hits. And I know you're going to go crazy again. But I'm like, boy, BYU is so professional. They took this game on like two days notice. They go across the entire country. They get these bad calls and these late hits, and they're still not complaining. Yeah, you know, something fans, fans weren't able to see. They saw the game, the, the emotion um, of the game, but in the locker room after the game. If, if, no, if we didn't have any leaders, any maturity, you would have probably heard all of those things that just went through your head and reasons to, to make excuses and, and point blame. But we had multiple leaders step up, and Zach was one of them, after the game when emotions were so high to say, hey, this is on me, right? Taking taking um, leadership, ownership, even though they, they could have easily justified not doing it. We've had a lot of guys come come to the team and say, hey, let's move on. And, and it was just, it was an awesome, ex- you know, experience for me as a coach um, to see what happens when you have leaders. And I think that's why no one was able to, everyone was able to see our, our, our true colors as a team. And that's part of the culture Kalani presents here is looking within and, and taking ownership of things and it was awesome to be a part of despite the result and then you go to the Boca Bowl which is down here just a, a 20 miles south of West Palm Beach and just everybody who I mean there was limited attendance there at the game but everyone who had an interaction with the BYU program was impressed everything the professionalism and of course Zach had an amazing game 26 for 34 yards 26 for 34 425 yards and the MVP of the game over Central Florida so just a great experience to come here to South Florida and have a victory like that yeah it was such a great experience for our whole team go down to a beautiful part of the country so hospitable everyone there involved Central Florida is you know, such a great team who we have respect for. 
um, the fan base on both sides. It was, it was just a, an awesome experience, a great game to be a part of one. I think all of us will, will remember to cap off such a great year. And just talk a little bit about what makes Zach, I mean, you're the passing game coordinator, work with the wide receivers. And I, I see him with his feet. You know, people say, you know, he's a mobile quarterback. He just seems to be so mobile. And also like the Patrick Mahone style, being able to make those passes when he's on the run. And so the defense can't say, oh, he's going to run on this play or he's going to pass. Like he could do anything. Just, I mean, very similar to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. One thing people, I think, obviously don't see um, with Zach is he studies film more than anybody I know. And he doesn't just study like, defenses and the team we're playing any given week when that guy's in his spare time he watches Aaron Rodgers Joey Joey Burrows LSU senior year he watches Patrick Mahomes like he watches hours and hours on those guys so there's this built up you know he has this built up database in his brain of quarterbacks of things he can physically do but when he reacts instinctively those things come out because he's he's built up this database of film he's just studied and so that's one thing I love about him, man. While, while guys are out doing stuff with their free time, which I think is healthy, by the way, you got to have a balance in life. Zach is just obsessing over film. It's one of the reasons he's where he's at today, and I think going to have a very long, successful career in the NFL because he loves nothing more than the game of football, and, and I think you know people are going to see that. And were you there on Pro Day when he had that tremendous pass? I, I saw something today on TV where he said, well, I, just, I didn't want to do a normal Pro Day. I wanted to throw crazy passes that no one ever would see. I, I, don't, I wasn't worried about risking, you know, making mistakes or anything. You know, that Pro Day was nothing in comparison to what he did every day in practice. That Pro <laughs> Day was, that pro, we, we had Pro Day every day at practice, and he made some crazy throws. So it was, it was fun to see everyone's reaction. But none of us as players or coaches were like, oh, yeah, we, we've seen that every day. In fact, that wasn't even that great. You should have seen this one throw in this practice. So it was, it was funny to just to kind of see the, the difference, but awesome to, for everyone to see it on a national scale on TV like that. Wow. So, and how's his mindset approaching the draft? I mean, how does he feel in terms of, you know, people say he could go to the Jets, but you never know until you never know. You don't, you know, don't, anything can happen. Uh, what's, how's his mindset coming into, into the draft, which is uh, just a few days away? It, it's awesome. His mindset is where it should be. Um, I've been fortunate to stay in great contact. We've we spent a lot of time together in person um, from the season's end to now to heading up to the draft and talk consistently. And I've just been so impressed with his mentality. He's just level-headed. Nothing's getting to him. He understands anything that can happen. He remains humble, appreciative, and grateful for the opportunity he has to even be in this position, which is another reason why I just think he's, he's going to be so successful. So I've been really impressed with how he's handled this whole process. Well, Fessy, considering you're the person who discovered him, I mean, I think you'd be on the road. If I was the, the head coach of BYU right now, your cousin, I would have you out every day trying to find some sophomore football players that nobody else <laughs> wants. <laughs> you know, find the, hey. we, we need some more number two picks in the draft or three picks in the draft. Yeah, typically we would be out, but the NCAA has joined uh, <laughs> that period, so we cannot do anything till June first. But we're watching film and we're trying to find we're trying to find uh, the next Zach Wilson, no doubt. And Fessy, how do people follow you on Twitter? Because I went on your Twitter page and you have a lot of it's really good, interesting stories, things like that. Love to see your family too; it's pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, no my uh, my Twitter handle is uh, is at f sitake, so f. Um, and then my last name, S-I-T-A-K-E. So, That's great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, you're, this, you're a great young coach in terms of football. Uh, besides having Zach Wilson, you're, you're excited for BYU and uh, going to be following you in the future. So hopefully you'll have another, another potential NFL uh, superstar that we can call and ask about questions for in the next couple of years. So I appreciate you coming on Ira on Sports. Thank you, Ira. It was great, great talking with you. Appreciate, appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Great stuff there from Coach Tataki. Hope you enjoyed that. We've still got uh, Dan Shanka coming up from rlads.com here on Iron Sports. Ira, let's talk a little NBA before we get back into it. And it's it's kind of starting to shape up how the playoffs are going to look, but we still don't really know what we're going to see out of the Brooklyn Nets. And it seems to be all everyone's talking about. What? It's... Durant, Kevin Durant is out the entire week. Someone who's going to get some in fantasy comes back and uh, they on Sunday and they beat the Suns. Suns are the best, second best record in the West. Uh, Durant scores 30. Kyrie Irving scores 30. They have a great game. Um, and now they're one and a half games over the 76ers, three and a half games over Milwaukee. 
And I guess the big surprise, though, is the Knicks. The Knicks just don't lose. I mean, everyone's waiting it's for crazy. the Knicks to come back to Earth, and they're just not coming back to Earth. They're amazing. So, so there was a big article on WFAN, which is the you know the, the main sports network in, in New York, saying to Brooklyn, like, people don't care about you. They're Knicks fans here in this city. You guys need to go back to New Jersey. And I don't know if that's fair, but I think maybe it's because the team's been so kind of uh, in and out throughout the season. We haven't seen all three together for more than seven games. So I don't know what your take on this is, but the Knicks are making a case to say, hey, we're still here. No, I, I think it's even more than a case. I think that people in New York are more, they view, I, I really believe the Knicks, they are the most, they're, they're more popular than Brooklyn is. I don't care how many stars you put on Brooklyn's team. I get the Brooklyn is trying, still trying to sell tickets to the games. They have only selling three, 4,000. I keep getting emails about a hundred times a day about saying, we have tickets, we have tickets, please come buy tickets. And you don't see that for the Knicks games. Uh, the Knicks are the, t- the talk. I mean, the Knicks, the Knicks win two series. The, if, the, if the Nets get to the, the finals and lose, I think it's going to be a disappointment. Knicks win two series again, like, oh my gosh, we have everything to build on. They have no long-term salaries at all. I mean, Randall and Julius Randall, this is a player that was in L.A. who they just said, well, he's no good. Then they gave him to New Orleans and they said, he's no good. And it's been like four or five years, four years. And now he is getting six assists a game, scoring 40 points almost on a regular basis, 15 rebounds out of nowhere. And remember Julius from, from Kentucky, but someone who is, he's going to be the most approved player like the next two years in a row because he keeps getting better and better and better. And, but it's just, it's Tom Tibro. It's their coach who was the coach at the, at the Bulls when the Bulls had their nice run is a coach at the Timberwolves when, and, Got some wins out of the Timberwolves, but now we can see what a coach does. Finally, the Knicks have been through. It must be like their 20th coach in the past five years. And finally, <laughs> you can see playing defense, passing the ball, and it's all working out. So keeping it in the East, um, the Miami Heat might find themselves in a little bit of trouble. And I think you're a little bit um, critical of how Pat Riley's kind of handled this. And that's not usually you. <laughs> well, I thought last year he made the perfect decision in making the trades and bringing Jay Crowder in. I thought that worked out great. This year, it is a mess. And I think when they got rid of Kelly Olenek, they got rid of their rebounding. They brought in Victor Oladipo. Now, Victor Oladipo is not the Victor Oladipo a couple years ago. He got hurt. He didn't play well. People forget when he was here for a few games, he didn't play well. Then he gets hurt. And now you see Tyler Heroes playing better. Duncan Robinson is shooting lights out after the trade deadline. And then you have Gordon Drogic, who needs time. And Kendrick Nunn needs to be in. So they have four really good guards. And now the talk, talk is, well, and Oladipo comes back. Whose time is he going to take? Well, no, we <laughs> the guards are not the problem. It's the forwards. I mean, they're starting Max Struess and Precious is giving Precious a shoe of time. They're the rookie and, and he's not really too much pressure on Bam Adebayo. No other center front court player. They needed a Linux and then a Linux goes to Houston. He's scoring 25 points, 14 rebounds. This was a terrible mistake. And if the Heat end up like this week, they lost to the Hawks. You know, they, 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 so they play the Bulls tonight. They have some games. They have a chance, but they're battling for, I mean, they and the, the Celtics are at six and uh, the sixth and seven seed. Uh, they're nine games back, but they could fall. I mean, they could fall behind the Hornets, the Pacers. They might be, but they, at seven, they're in the play-in game where they have to play seven and eight. It could be out after two games. So it's a it's a problem for the Heat, and this is te- they just haven't looked good. They just and I just think when Ola, if people were talking when Oladipo comes back, what happens? I think Oladipo should come back and sit on the bench. No, I, I think you're right in that. And case. he wants a four-year, eighty million dollar contract. Just, <laughs> I can't see Pat uh, shelling that out right now. Um, how's the West looking in the NBA? Well, I think it's just it's really the ten-team field is set. And the, and the teams that are out, uh, Stan Van Gundy, probably, he's like the Dave Roberts, I think, of coaching. I mean, <laughs> he has New Orleans, Zion Williamson, who is, is just uh, having an amazing year. I mean, last year, the rookie year was a good. This year, Zion's scoring 30 points. He's passing. It's, it's, it's trem- Watch, Zion is amazing. They have Brandon Ingram, who's becoming an all-star, and they continually just lose games. They're out of the playoffs. Uh, Sacramento, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, Houston, all out. And really, the 10-team field is set. And the team that might be surprising is in the 10th seed is, is Golden State. Steph Curry set the record for threes in a month. Uh, they're they're on fire. Portland's losing games. I mean, everyone like Portland. I like Portland a lot. And they just are not winning. And Memphis, John Morant is now playing like he did. Uh, like, this is the best basketball he's played, scoring the 40 points and everything. They have San Antonio. But the key is, look, the Jazz have the number one record, but Donovan Mitchell's been hurt for two weeks. He might be out another week. I'm concerned. Again, another fantasy player of mine. And the Phoenix Suns, everyone's in, you know, the Phoenix Suns look great. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, they look great. And then they go out and they lose to the Nets without Harden. Uh, and then the Clippers are playing well. Nuggets are just injury after injury. Uh, and the Lakers are nine back. Anthony Davis comes back, looks terrible. Uh, but he's back playing. LeBron's still not back where the Lakers are going to be in terms of seating. And then you have a, some team like the Mavericks. We could see Luka Doncic, but Porzingis is hurt. 
I mean, all these injuries are playing a factor. And if anyone makes any predictions in the playoffs saying, well, if the Nets are healthy, they win the title. Well, you can't do the if because they aren't. <laughs> None of these teams are going to be healthy. you got to make your predictions and don't say if they're healthy because then you're just – it's like a weatherman saying, well, if it doesn't sun, if it's not sunny, it's going to rain or whatever <laughs> like that. I mean, the point is uh, I don't feel any of these teams are going to be going to get through it. And, and you have to look at the teams like, okay, if they sustain an injury. Like last year, the Heat, they had injuries and were still able to make it to the finals. They had Adebayo got hurt, Doran Dragic got hurt, and they were still able to make it the, to the NBA Finals. They sort of got hurt more in the finals. Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, just a few minutes away from Dan Shanka from OurLads.com joining us. Ira, so there's a point now in the season where Jacob deGrom has more hits than he does earned runs. He is just absolutely ridiculous. He's on another planet right now, and it's it's really fun to watch. And this is coming from a Yankee fan. Nine innings uh, pitched. He had a complete game shutout this week, which is unheard of to have complete game shutouts. Only threw 107 pitches. Uh, two hits to beat the Nats. He's now pitched five games. He's only given up one run in 29 innings. Uh, in the last three games, he's had strikeouts of 15, 14, and 14. Uh, just a game perfect. And he's, he's, the question is, can be the, is he going to be the MVP? Not the Cy Young, the MVP. Uh, and the fact is, is he's, because he's so nervous about the Mets bullpen, he feels like he has to pitch nine innings now, which I think is great. <laughs> but it is, I love starting pitching. I like, I love do- watching dominant starting pitching. And it's great to have someone like DeGrom that comes in there and it's like the old school pitching these great performances. So, Ira, we talked about this uh, earlier in the season that it was going to be kind of a weird baseball season with the seven inning uh, double headers, things like that. So yesterday, Zach Gallen uh, of the Diamondbacks goes out and one hits the Giants. Follows it up with a no-hitter from Bumgarner. Both of these are seven innings, Ira. I mean, it's still a no-hitter. It's still a complete game shutout. But are you putting that much stock into it? <laughs> well, I don't know. If I, I don't like the seven-inning double header. I hate it. that. I, I just I hate it. I think it cheapens the game. Um, but people forget, Madison Bumgarner is no longer on San Francisco. He's on Arizona. Yeah. So that's the confusion. <laughs> people say, wait, where's Madison Bumgarner? And, I mean, Madison Bumgarner is one of my favorite pitchers because in 2004, he's been three-time World Series champion. In 2014, he literally won the playoffs, like Oral Hershiser yeah. style. He literally was pitching every single game, pitching relief of every game. It's like like. Like the high school pitchers do when they're, when they before they're allowed, like they come in and just pitch every game. He was doing everything, and and I just felt like I mean he's to me the Hall of Fame. Like he was dominant for a few year period, and he never earned that big big money because then he got hurt because he was on his rookie contracts when he's winning all these games. But I'm glad. I wish he got a no hitter out of that. Like I feel bad. Like he was pitching enough. He had enough. Inning, he would have gone and be able to probably get a no hitter. So they don't give him quote a no hitter on a seven inning no hit performance it, win. It, it's an asterisk no hitter. I guess <laughs> is, is how we're going to classify. So. You know, we've been talking on this show about how Aaron Boone should uh, lose his job, Ira, and Yankees actually turned it around. They must have been listening to the show last week, got a little bit of motivation, but... The Dodgers are kind of on a separate skid here, and you think Dave Roberts should be the manager that's on the hottest seat. He's not on any hot seat. He'll never be on the hot seat. But the fact is, they lost three out of four to the Padres. Last night, they were up 7-1. to one. I'm watching the game. So I'm watching the game, and I'm like, 7-1. I'm, I'm turning it off, and then in the seventh, it's the seventh inning, 7-1. And they take uh, May out of the game. Their starter, Dustin May, was awesome. Just just awesome. After seven innings, they take it. Six innings, they take him out of the game. And then two runs in the seventh, two runs in the eighth, and and they tie it up seven seven. But he he doesn't know how to use his relievers. Uh, it's they say oh the, the Dodgers relieving core is terrible. No, it's not great. But the but how Roberts uses is pathetic. He brings Price in. He didn't even he literally thought the game was done at seven one. Didn't try to close <laughs> it out. And then whatever. And then okay, so everything's terrible. But still the way they do in the extra innings, you start with a runner on second base, and then uh, Justin Turner in the tenth inning, Justin Turner advanced the runners. Is the bottom of the 10th to third. And then what does the Padres do? They intentionally walk two batters to get the man on first and second. Why? Because Dave Roberts had used his entire lineup in, in a game like this, so he had no pinch hitters, and he had to use Clayton Kershaw. So there's one out, bases loaded, and what do the Padres do? They put their entire team. It's like a little league out there. It's like if I was up bat when I was like eight years old, and they would all stand there because I had no power. But they would put every, they literally put the entire diamond. There was nobody in the outfield because Kershaw, and they were just throwing the pitches, and they struck him out, and then they got... Uh, then. They had another rookie up there, G.J. Peters, who then had the, the, the second strike. All they need was a run. Just a fly ball. They would have tagged up and scored the run. It, you know, hit anywhere in infield. But to leave your situation. And then in the uh, top of the 11th, uh, Padres score a run. Uh, and the Dodgers don't score. So they lose three out of four to the Padres. And I just, Roberts, again, how in the world, in a game like this, do you just, he loses so many games. This was a game that should have been over. Against a division opponent who's got a pretty darn good team themselves. Uh, I mean, 
I don't, he's definitely not getting fired, like you said. But if you're going to start looking around at what this team should never lose, it's got to be on the coach when nothing happens. I, I just you wonder. I mean, you just wonder: is he even making decisions? Is this like the GMs are making decision? Andrew Friedman, who's a genius at GM, and they bring these players in because if it's the coach, it, it doesn't make any sense. And is it, if they if they're making decisions that are like we are making the wrong decision, we can't fire him because he'll come out and say, "Look, I don't make these decisions." He's great with the clubhouse and all those things, and that's one thing. But the in-game decisions, it's like the Dodgers just bring. I mean, if the Dodgers had a manager that was, you know, anything, they could have win 120 games. Every game would be blowouts. You don't blow a 7-1 lead. And then Fernando Tatis Jr., five home runs in the series, was amazing. And it was, it was exciting because Trevor Bauer and him got added back and forth in terms of, like, they, on the social media. They had a lot of fun with it. And Tatis was showing him up. And Bauer said, I don't care if I give up a home run. He should, you know, be able to dance and do whatever he wants. I like that attitude. That was give and take. So I thought that was pretty good. Let's go to uh, Dan Shanka here from rlads.com. We have Dan Shanka from rlads.com. Com. Uh, Dan, thanks a lot for coming on IRS Sports. I appreciate it. You betcha. You're looking forward to it. So, uh, Dan, just a little bit about your site. I use you all the time for your depth charts. Whenever I go to any game, I'm always at all live games almost every weekend, and I want to have all the player numbers. And you don't have the newspapers like you have where you have the little rosters, and I'm like the person that sits there, prints it out, because you don't want to buy a program because the programs have like 150 pages, and you can't turn <laughs> those pages. So you guys keep those depth charts coming because if you go to a game, you want to know who the numbers are, they have them all. It's, it's phenomenal. It's great. So great. anyway, Dan, just let Let's get to this draft. I mean, the big question right now is number three. The San Francisco 49ers, it is all over the place. Justin Fields, Trey Lance, uh, Mac Jones. Which quarterback are you thinking is it's going to be at that third position? i tell you what, Ira. I, I mean, I, I'm a Mac Jones fan. And uh, I'll tell you that I think, I think this. Well, first of all, I think the real story is at number two, Justin Fields ought to be going to New York, okay, in my opinion. And then – Fields, or excuse me, and then uh, Mac Jones, three, because I think the NFL is such a copycat league, and you've got your prototypes, which you want. And San Francisco, uh, Kyle Shanahan and his father, Mike, they've run this offense and versions of the offense, and you must have an accurate quarterback and uh, a pinpoint accurate quarterback with good ball placement, and that's that's Mac Jones, and uh, I think Trey Lance is going to be a great quarterback. There's no question about it. I don't think he'll have that accuracy, but you know, down the line he might. But he, he's only played a couple years, or really one year uh, of games, and then he was a red shirt there at North Dakota State. I saw him live a year ago. Uh, very impressive guy, and um, uh, he's going to be, I think, really a good NFL quarterback. I think that uh, the other thing I like about Mac Jones, he's very steady, and he's a guy that uh, you can count on where that ball is going to go. I mean, he's got that quick synapse from his brain to his hand. He gets it out. He'll buzz it right by a uh, defensive back's earlobe and uh, throw it right in there there to his receivers. Uh, When they're breaking uh, their routes off, he throws that ball right in there to them and – so anyway, I, uh, I, I think uh, a lot of Mac Jones, and he's the kind of quarterback I'd like to have. The other guys, if you're a- asking about vertical jumps and all that stuff, you might look at those guys, but an accuracy, ball placement, and uh, quick decisions, the things that uh, you need as an NFL quarterback, Mac Jones has. Well, you did mention something. Is there any surprise that the Jets, I mean, there's some talk we've been discussing on this show that there's a lot of maybe misinformation out there. Is there any chance the Jets don't pick Zach Wilson and go up to Justin Fields? Uh, yes, I think, I, think, I think there is. And, I, and the other thing is this, Ira. I, I, the thing is, it's, there's a big difference between Draper, Utah, and New York City, you know, in, in, in many different respects. And I think that, I don't know if uh, the, the, the that Zach Wilson could handle the pressure of New York City because, you know, being in a great place like Provo, Utah, it's it's just a very calm, relaxed type place. He didn't play against great competition, but that's not his fault. But he excelled, you know. Um, uh, he was 2-4, and four, uh, though, against, you know, Power 5 teams also. Um, he throws the ball accurately, uh, not always guys feet under him. He's got some... You know, uh, and that's the problem with Sam Darnold. Sam could never get his feet set, and uh, he, he, you know, he fell out of favor real fast with the Jet fans by all those turnovers. And then now, you know, you bring in a, another guy from, um, 
you know, the West like that that might not be able to handle that uh, pressure. So I, I think, but a guy like, uh, I, I think Justin Fields would be great in New York. I mean, he would give you a dimension that they haven't had in years. So who else do you think? I mean, there's rumors that the Patriots might move up. So you're talking about Lawrence being off the bat, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Is someone going to move up to and Mac Jones? Is someone going to move up to Trey Lance? Who, would you look at the, the Carolina? Do you look at Denver? Or the Patriots maybe coming up from uh, 15 to try to get another quarterback? Or will these quarterbacks just fall, maybe just wait and make no, make no trades at all? Well, I, I, I think there's a good chance four quarterbacks may go off uh, – uh, the board with Lawrence and uh, let's let's just say Wilson and Jones and then either Justin Fields or Trey Lance at the four spot because you know um, Ryan uh, Matt Ryan is is you know basically got one year left on the, on his big contract and uh, if they could have one of these quarterbacks come in there and because he's not going to get any younger but this might be a good time for them to get a guy to develop in there at four uh now i know a lot of people are saying uh kyle pitts might end up uh going for atlanta but um we think that uh that now here, here's something for the dolphin fans uh you know i think that um if pitts is there at six i think that uh the dolphins will snatch him up and how about at 18, they go ahead and get a Najee Harris, for instance, and if they walked out of the first round or the first day with those two guys, I think they'd say they've had a pretty successful draft start, wouldn't you? Yeah, most certainly. I mean, that's the issue with the Dolphins. They have the sixth pick, but if Pitts is gone, do they go with, and maybe Chase is gone, the other wide receiver from LSU, do they go with one of the Alabama wide receivers at six? Do they trade down? What do the Dolphins do at six if Pitts is gone and uh, Chase from LSU is gone? Do they go with Waddle or Devon uh, uh, and Smith to get uh, for their wide receivers? Yeah, well, I, I tell you, I think that that's going to be a good choice to have. And also, I think that somebody's going to try to trade up in that sixth spot, you know, for a quarterback. So they could have uh, maybe the best of all worlds. you got two excellent receivers, two legit top ten caliber receivers, and then um, you, you could have a trade partner that uh, might give you more picks. And, uh, for, and, like, next year should be a really deep draft. So, but anyway, I think that um, uh, you know, I, I I think that that they, you know, it's going to be their choice between an explosive Waddle who can be a big time return guy, or Devonta Smith that will catch everything close. Both those guys are excellent receiver. Waddle's a little faster. Uh, Devonta runs probably a little better routes, um, and Waddle gives you that return ability. So uh, it's kind of who's ever higher on their board. And, you know, we hadn't talked to you after last year's draft. We're talking to Dan Shanka of ourlads.com. Definitely go and use the site. It's tremendous everything. I love the site. Uh, but we, so where do you think going about Tua this year? I mean, I was sort of, I'm, I'm okay about Tua. I didn't think, I did not expect Tua to come in this league and be superstar from day one. I, I'm okay with where his progress is. What's your opinion? Do you, do you, are you concerned or do you think next year, uh, you think Tua is going to make that next step? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He'll. He'll. You know. They always get better. I mean, uh, like the next year, he was coming off the hip and everything. And uh, even though he was theoretically uh, well, but now he'll have a little more confidence and everything. So now I'd expect his second year to be uh, an ascending year for him. And uh, and then he'd probably feel a little more comfortable, maybe having an Alabama receiver to throw to if uh, uh, Jamar Chase or Pitts is not there at six. Now, is there any, like we always watch the draft and people say, oh, he fell. Can you believe that someone fell? And then you also have this person, I cannot believe he was drafted so high. I know it's hard to make these predictions, but maybe throw out a couple names where like a player that you think is just going to fall, which you think is the media thinks is so hyped, but the teams themselves won't take. And maybe a player that is probably going to be picked up early that, that just, that we still haven't got this hype that maybe this is a really good player that might go earlier. And they'll say, oh my gosh, why they pick this guy so early? Yeah, no, that, that's the, that's the big thing. Cause you have to remember, they, you know, the media and all that, they say, well, this player fell. Well, no, he might not have fallen on anybody's board, uh, because the 32 teams, they're what makes a difference, not the 300 uh, people that do mock drafts out there, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and 90% of them copy each other anyway. So, you know, but, uh, I, I think that a guy that I think could ascend a little bit, maybe JC Horn, the corner from South Carolina, uh, a terrific football player. 
Um, and the only reason I think that, uh, like, Caleb Farley might fall a little bit is because of those back surgeries. Because he really, he could, you know, he'd be in the, in the discussion for the top corner in this draft if, that, if his medicals all check out. I mean, he's really good. But, you know, we actually have him down a little bit because of the back, and we have never seen the medical reports or anything like that. But, you know, and every team's different the way they look at it, Ira. I mean, some some uh, teams wouldn't take a guy with a bad back or shoulder, you know, whatever. Um, and then I think uh, Micah Parsons might fall a little bit. Uh, most likely, a lot of people thought he was a top 10 type pick. And I think that, you know, he may fall in that 17 range to maybe, uh, you know, to Las Vegas, for instance. Yeah, I'm a big – I've been talking about this. I'm a huge Penn State fan. I go to all the Penn State games. I have to tell you, I'm not impressed with Parsons. Like, I would not as a Steelers if he fell to the Steelers. I mean, you, they went up to get Devin Bush as a linebacker a couple of years ago from Michigan. Micah Parsons is no Devin Bush. And, and I just I, – again, I just am not – I'm shocked when I first saw that he was going to be, like, one of the top five players in the draft. I'm like, Micah Parsons? I mean, he's not – and there's plays where he just disappears for the game. And, and he's, he's likely to be maybe, even people predicting, to be the first defensive player taken. Yeah, I think that, that that's that's old news, though. Ira. I think now it's going to be one of those defensive backs like Patrick Sertain might be the you know first defender off the board, or maybe a J.C. Horn. So, do you think about get back to running backs a little? Um, you, do you think that both Harris and Travis Etienne from Clemson could both be drafted in the first round? I know this is, we're going away from drafting. I mean, Barkley was the exception, but going away from drafting running backs in that first round. But do you think Etienne and Harris will could both be drafted? Yeah, I do. I think they they uh, both have a great shot at uh, being drafted in that first round, and maybe uh, Tampa could take ETN if uh, Harris is off the board. And just jumping around here a little bit, um, on the fifth pick, do you think that the Bengals, I mean, this seems to be the dilemma. Do you go with Joe Chase, who is uh, Burrow's uh, wide receiver from two years ago? I was at the National Championship game, and Chase was amazing, sat out last year. Or does he go with Panay Sewell, the offensive lineman from Oregon, so to protect, that, protect him so he doesn't have another ACL tear? you got to protect him. you got to have that guy to protect you up front, and he's got to realize that because he's rehabbing from when he didn't have blockers. So uh, it would be great to have Chase, but uh, I think that I think they got to go with Sewell. And what about the Patriots? Do you really do you think that they will? Is this will they go for that quarterback, or are they just going to keep building, go with Cam, and then wait till next year? Where do you see them going for their quarterback this year? Is this, is this a year they just sit and, and sit with Cam, or do they actually try to do something, or or do they pick something later? One of the later quarterbacks. Is there some of these later quarterbacks that, that Davis uh, uh, from uh, um, Stanford, Trask? We know him from Florida. Kellen Mond of Texas A and M. Are one of these other quarterbacks? Davis Mills from Stanford. I'm sorry. Uh, are one of these other quarterbacks that might teams like I think those are going to be good quarterbacks for us yeah i think that they could end up taking uh those guys a little bit later on but i i i wouldn't hey belichick is uh put 130 some million in unrestricted free agents so he might trade up for the first time <laughs> well that's that's exciting and the, the Dolphins, and we're down here in West Palm Beach, the Dolphins have the 6th, the 18th, the 30th, the 56, 50, and 81. Oh, that's five picks in the first 80. Do you think that – now, they don't have any picks later, like the 5th and 6th rounds. Do you see the Dolphins you know, using their picks and, 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 and filling – they have a lot of needs. I mean, certainly wide receiver and running back, which you've mentioned. I mean, they might even double up on those things. Do you see them trying to get those or maybe trading some of those picks back and getting some other picks later? Yeah, I could see them trading back and getting some other picks. That's good. That's good. And uh, I got to run. Uh, I got to get to the. I know we're just taping this, so that's why I didn't mind interrupting. But uh, I've got to get to the post office. So <laughs> that's great, okay. Dan. Thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. We greatly appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate you coming on Iron Sports today. And, and good luck this week watching the draft. Okay, thanks. Great stuff there from Dan Shanga here on Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So Ira NHL. It hasn't been talked about much, but if you've been on ESPN.com, you might notice that the NHL is back on the main bar, and there's a good reason for that. They're going to be on, be shown a lot on ESPN going forward. Um, ESPN and also now TNT. This is going to be – this is crazy. Cra- but this is crazy. How will this work? Because both those uh, television networks cover the NBA. And the NBA and the NHL are the exact same time in the playoffs. They almost start the same time. And this is you know, it's a little bit different, but they start the same time. How is this going to work out? But it's better for the NHL to get back. They were on NBC Sports Network. Nobody could find out what channel that was on. It was a mess back and forth. But I think it's great for great to be on TNT and ESPN for the NHL. But I'm just interested to see how this will play in terms of the playoffs because it almost appears that when the playoffs start for the first month, TNT and ESPN has it on every single night. So it'll be it'll be it'll just be interesting to see how that works out. We like to keep up with our 
Florida Panthers here as well. They're just one point behind the Carolina Hurricanes uh, in that central division. The only teams that have locked so far are all in the West. Vegas, Colorado, and Minnesota have punched their tickets to the playoffs. Everyone else still waiting to see what happens. Um, Let's talk a little UFC, Ira. You were super, super excited for this rematch. And it ended up being, I don't want to say a letdown, but it really showed that Usman is is the class of the class here. Well, Mazdaval, who, who lost on a, he was given two days notice and, and went, flew over to uh, Abu Dhabi and lost to, to Usman, the champion. Uh, then he said, okay, now this time we're going to have months to train, regular training camp. And then he loses even worse in a worse <laughs> situation. Knocked out in the second round. Knocked out cold, really, in the second round. Uh, Kamar Usman is clearly the, the, the king of the welterweight division. One of the greatest fighters now. You're talking about him of all time. And we're interested to see what comes next, but a, a dominating performance. I was down in Miami, and there was uh, Jorge is from Miami, and there was posters of him everywhere, and the cardboard cutouts of him everywhere. It's it's he's a he's a telegenic fighter, and he's great for the sports and and all those things. But Usman is just better, and and, and Masvidal even said that he goes, "Look, he's a better fighter than I am." So that was amazing. <laughs> what else happened? Well, and Rose Namajunas uh, knocked out Wheel Zhang in the women's strawweight. She took the title. Rose used to be the champion of the featherweight. Then she came back and 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 took and walked out, won the title, and then Valentina. Shevchenko beat former champion Jessica Andrade uh, in the second round. And Shevchenko is tremendous. I think the fight that people from the women's side are looking at is with Shevchenko, who's lost to Nunes twice. It would, if it would go, he's, she's like the only woman out there who has, people think, could somehow beat Amanda Nunes. So really, there are these two great champions that compete winning everyone, but they're the, the gap in terms of the size, because really, Nunes is much heavier than Shevchenko. It, it would not really work out so well. It'd be difficult to see what weight they fight at. But a huge win for Shevchenko, Namajuna had a win, and then Usman's win was was awesome. And they was in Jacksonville. They had 16,000 fans in the stadium. Tom Brady was there. Tim Tebow was there. Uh, it looked great on television. Great for the UFC. Uh, and they're, they're go- they're, now they're going to be have full houses wherever they go. And what about uh, in racing? Um, well, <laughs> yeah, we talked about last week how Jennifer Jo Cobb was going to be the first woman in like four years to race in NASCAR. And at the last minute, NASCAR wouldn't let her race in Talladega. They made a decision and they said, well, we, she hasn't had enough practice or whatever. I thought that was wrong. She's raced in trucks, raced in the Finnancy series. Um, and then a lot of people said, wait, you have no rules. You're letting like Derek Cope had a race in 15, <laughs> 20 years. He's 65 years old. They let him run a race and they don't let Jennifer Jo Cobb. But Brad Kulowski won. Um, he was in Daytona. He was the one who was involved in the accident with Joey Logano. They should have won that or one of the two would have won. And uh, Penske uh, talked to him. They're both drivers said, look, no more accidents. We cannot have you guys crashing into each other all the time. This is a and sort of yell at them. But he's the ninth driver in 10 races now to win. So this shows the parody in racing. And uh, Logano was involved in a terrible wreck where he's flying all around uh, a bad wreck. And he's like, you know, something has to be done because in these super speedway racing, they just draft like in Daytona. And then so one car hits one other car and the other, they just go flying. And so he says, something has to be done to either spread the cars out or something or slow the speeds down so they don't have these accidents like that. And the next week is that they're going to Kansas Motor Speedway, which is another semi-super speedway track. You're listening to Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Uh, so, Iron, I don't know what it was about the Zurich Classic. I, I kind of couldn't get into it. It was just a little strange for me, and I don't know, it just wasn't my thing. <laughs> well, it's in New Orleans, and it's a, a team classic where you actually two golfers get together. Not many big names were in it. Um, I didn't watch. I didn't watch any of it, and it was even hard to follow online because they really didn't have mm-hmm. it set up. Cameron Smith and, and Mark Leishman of Australia beat Louis Olshausen and Charles, Charles Schwartzel in a playoff. Um, I'm going to be interested to see what the ratings are. I mean, this is is why they have this one tournament out of a year. They do it like this with the team. And it, it, a couple of years ago, it sort of worked. I think there was, but I think this one is, it just, it, it doesn't fit in well with how the season is. So I wasn't too into it, but in terms of like, I have to admit, I'm the, of course the biggest golf fan in the world and I just wasn't watching it. So uh, the Valspar is coming up next week though. They have a nice lineup, but this is the one in Tampa. And I remember the Vals for a couple years ago when Tiger came back, was playing, and he tried to get some more tournaments in. And when he played, like, it was weird. He, like, you never heard about the Vals for until Tiger played, and <laughs> their, their, their fan base quadrupled. And they, but this week they, you know, the week, they have Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, uh, Paul Casey, Victor Hovland, Mickelson, Reed, uh, Justin Rose, and Bubba Watson. So it's a good field. And it's like, as we talked about, the Honda, I think, would be better served to be after the Masters, like this time of year. I mean, the weather today in West Palm Beach it's is perfect. perfect. I, I just, I think that instead of putting it the Honda where everything is throw I'd rather have this if this was Honda was the Valspar date think what kind of field they would have I mean Rory would everybody be playing this if it was if it was the uh if it was this week for the Honda yeah and it's not like it's far from New Orleans I mean we're same no, distance going either way um well tell me about this player impact program I didn't even I had to read the story five times I didn't understand <laughs> what it was it's like they're gonna give 40 million dollars 40 million to the top two golfers that have 
player impact. I'm like, player impact? What does that mean? They go, who's the best social media presence? Whatever. Really is like Ricky Fowler who's ranked 103rd in the world now gets like $10 million out of this and like other golfers will, I mean, I guess if they had a normal, no one knows how they're even monitoring this social media or the player impact. I mean, under under normal circumstances, Tiger would get all $40 million. You would take it. But it just, it's like, wait a second, why are they giving $40 million? It's almost, I think, a way to give uh, set fees. You know, we're, we're concerned about, what I'm mad about this though, it's, I wish they would just say, if you show up at tournament, you get paid because then it brings the golfers to tournament. This doesn't pay them to show up at the tournaments. It just shows your social, your presence. They're afraid of them jumping to another tour. So that's why they're not making these golfers play more events, but they're giving this money so they don't jump to that tour that they were supposed to do, the foreign tour, sort of like the, ho- the soccer thing we the talked Super about. League, yeah. The Super League gives me the Super Golf Tour where the top golfers were going to be. This was sort of their response to it. But I don't think how it helps like anything. And I don't know why these golfers already, the money they're giving to, uh, Ricky Fowler makes $50 million a year on endorsements anyway. Like what's another, <laughs> why should the PGA take money? That money could go to their, to their, to, to other things. Like, I mean, there's other things they could use that money for rather than give it more to the golfers that have the most endorsements anyway. It's bizarre to me. <laughs> um, let's wrap it up some tennis. Yeah. Well, the, the idea was I saw, um, Rafael Nadal plays Seven Tsitsipas in Barcelona. You know, I talk about Tsitsipas. He's this great Greek player, young, 23 years old. He didn't play, he played bad against Herkos in the Miami Open. But then in, he won Monte Carlo. Then he goes to Barcelona. And in Barcelona, Nadal has won 11 times. So he won. It was his 12th title. But Tsitsipas had, uh, first of all, Nadal had two match points in the second set. And then Tsitsipas had a, had a, had, had a set point. It had a match point in the third set. And Nadal ended up winning the final three games and ended up winning it. But it was, Tremendous. I mean, both players. You can see when I say Tsitsipas has all the talent in the world. He's tall, so he uses serve. Great from the backhand. Great from the forehand. The only thing is that on the big points, he tends to just he gets tight, like like anybody would. But these great guys, like Nadal and Djokovic, when the, the, it doesn't the, happen to them. <laughs> they they just hit out harder. They hit. They play harder. They play better when the points get tighter. And that's where the difference was. These points, Tsitsipas played better than Nadal. He had more. It just you can see his game is actually even in many ways better than Nadal's game. But when the points got, like on the key game points, it was Nadal who came through, and, and Tsitsipas just played conservative, and you, after the match, Tsitsipas was like bawling. I mean, he was crying. He couldn't believe that he gave this away. And they had this big, the funny thing is the trophy celebration. So you win the trophy. Nadal's trophy was like six feet tall, like the best trophy you've ever seen, and all Tsitsipas got was a small little plate. It was the smallest <laughs> plate you could imagine, and he's like holding this plate, and Nadal can't even hold his gigantic trophy. But uh, the Madrid Open is next, and, and then there's the Italian Open, and then of course the French, all on clay. Uh, but I love watching in the sense because now with the tennis channel you get to see it in the morning it's early uh, some great matches and uh, but Djokovic did not enter this tournament he was in another tournament but this was the main one this week so Ira um NFL draft this Thursday. I'm sure you'd be there if it was humanly possible, but what are you planning on doing? Well, you know, it's it, I've been to about a dozen drafts. It yeah. used to be in New York all the time. It was one of the funnest drafts things to go to. They you go there, they gave you a little headset so you can listen to the to the te- television announcements. They gave you a goodie bag of all these things like you from the draft. And then you could buy the hats and the hats had like the Steelers with a draft on. It was mm-hmm. at Radio City Music Hall. So it was like this event. I just love going to the draft. I went every single year. It was it was like one of those things where I just went to. I remember I bought a scalp ticket one time from one of my scalpers outside and it I, it was denied and then I came back to the guy and go it didn't work and we, we went like four times until he finally gave me a ticket that worked I was like <laughs> how many times you can go but it was just great I love going to the draft and I think this week where you know as we talked about what Dan brought up uh, uh, that we, is the key thing is what happens at three where do the 49ers go do they go Fields uh, do they go Trey Lance uh, or, or, or do they go Mac Jones I mean that that's the point and what do the Falcons do with Pitts and then Bengals and, and uh, the Dolphins could go any Anywhere in terms of their wide receivers, I, I I really think if I had to say anything, I, I'm going to still say the 49ers go with Justin Fields, Ohio State quarterback. I think this is all again. There's too much noise coming out, yeah. and I just you and I do fantasy. I, these are my friends. I, I was thinking the other day. These are my friends I talk to every day. Like I talk to my viewers. I don't. When fantasy season comes, they'll start asking me, "Oh, what do you think about LeBron?" What do you think? Oh, great year! Like I'll never tell people who no, I'm going to draft. So why would the 49ers be leaking anything? What they're going to do? Like what? This makes no sense. This is like this is this isn't just our friends doing fantasy for a few bucks. This is like multi million dollar business. Do you think the? I don't know. People say, "Oh, I know the 49ers. They're definitely doing Mac Jones." I don't believe it. I absolutely. I don't, don't see it at all. And, and now that you know, I hear today. Um, the Patriots are looking to trade up to maybe with the Giants to get a quarter. You think the Patriots are giving away any information yeah, from Belichick that building? Talking, it never <laughs> happens. Like, I can't believe people buy into this so much. I, me and you are not on the Mac Jones train. And I think he might fall 15 
or later. I don't think he's going to fall done. 15 or later. I think people, I think I'll be drafting top 10, but I do think, I, I'd be surprised. I think the 49ers take fields. I think this is a smoke screen. I think they didn't want, they think they, they wanted fields all along, but they didn't want to tell people they want fields because they didn't want the Jets to get nervous to say, oh, we have to go back. We don't, oh, we, Zach Wilson is, I don't know about Zach Wilson. Let's go get fields, that type of thing. No, I, I agree with you completely. So, Ira, we would be uh, remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about the Kentucky Derby just a couple of days away, the run for the Roses. And this is one where at least my insiders are saying they're not going to be shocked if a 10, 15, 20 to 1 shot brings it down. There's no super favorite like we usually have. No, I mean, essential quality who won the Bluegrass Stakes is a, is a, a 4 to 1 or something like that. But I, I just, you don't get the feel that people are like, that's a super horse. And, and you're exactly right. There's horses that are at 15 to 1 and 20 to 1 that people think are, have a good chance in this race. I mean, it's a, a huge field. Anything can happen. And uh, we'll love to talk about it next week in terms of after see what after effects. I mean, it's weird this year the derby comes up and the draft is the same time it's uh it's sort of taken away the luster in terms of you know it's not standalone it came up so fast it's usually you have a week in may and then it's the first saturday in may but this first saturday is the first so yeah. that's the problem <laughs> we are out of time though thanks so much to our coach fessy sataki for stopping by also dan shanka of rlads.com he's ira i'm mike let's talk next monday night it's iron sports